Hello sweeties! Welcome to Inspirational Women from History, a series where I tell the stories of some of the most incredible and badass women from throughout history. I will do my best to do them justice. This started as a YouTube series sometime in 2020, but I'm moving the episodes to podcast form and will be adding more. I have a long list of women from all over the world, of all races, religions, from throughout history. However, any suggestions are always welcome. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inspirational Women from History. Today I'm going to be talking about Matahari. Born in the Netherlands on the 7th of August 1876, her birth name was actually Margareta Gertrude Zeller. Matahari would later become her stage name when she rose to fame as an exotic dancer, and later in life she became a courtesan to wealthy businessmen and military officials. She went on to claim that she was of Jewish, Malaysian or Indonesian descent, However, scholars have concluded that she had no Jewish or Asian ancestry and that both of her parents were Dutch. Her father went bankrupt in 1889 and her parents divorced. Her mother died in 1891 and her father remarried in 1893. After all of this, the family fell apart and she was sent to live with her godfather, Mr. Bitter. She later studied to be a kindergarten teacher, however, the henmaster began to flirt with her very obviously, and she was removed from the institution by her godfather. At 18, she answered an advert in the paper, placed by Dutch colonial army captain Rudolf MacLeod. He was living in the Dutch East Indies at the time, which is now Indonesia, and was looking for a wife. That's right, he put an advert in the paper for a wife. They were married in Amsterdam, and they moved to Malang on the east side of the island of Java. Now, MacLeod was the son of a captain and a baroness, so this marriage allowed Mata to move into the upper classes and placed her in a nice sound footing with the finances. However, the marriage was disappointing. MacLeod was an alcoholic. He beat Zella and blamed her for his lack of promotion. He also openly kept a concubine, which was apparently a socially accepted practice in the Dutch East Indies at that time. These concubines were known as the Nai. They were local women who acted as housekeepers and companions as well as concubines, and had little to no say in the matter. Zella abandoned him, only temporarily, moving in with another Dutch officer. She studied Indonesian culture and joined a local dance company during that time. In correspondence with her relatives, she revealed her choice of artistic name, Matahari, the word for sun in the local Malay language, literally translating to eye of the day. She allowed herself to be persuaded into returning to MacLeod. However, his behaviour didn't change. Big surprise. But she escaped, if only in her mind, by studying the local culture. In 1899, both their children fell ill from complications relating to the treatment of syphilis, which the children had most likely caught from their parents. Though some of the family apparently claimed they'd been poisoned by a servant, but I don't think any of that was ever proven. The daughter survived, but their son died. Some sources also claimed that one of MacLeod's enemies may have poisoned the supper to kill both of their children. However, again, nothing was proven. 
They moved back to the Netherlands and officially separated in 1902. In 1906, Zeller was awarded custody of their daughter. Now, McLeod was supposed to be paying child support, but he never did. However, during a visit to see his daughter, McLeod decided he was just not going to give her back. Zella didn't have the resources to fight the situation, and so just had to accept it. Her daughter would later die, age 21, possibly from further complications related to the syphilis. And this is where we get to the spicy stuff. In 1903, she moved to Paris. Here, she performed as a circus horse rider using the name Lady McLeod, much to the disapproval of her former husband and his family. However, she struggled to earn a living with this, so she also posed as an artist's model. And by 1904, she had begun to rise to prominence as an exotic dancer. Around the turn of the 20th century, the early modern dance movement looked to Asia and Egypt for a lot of artistic inspiration. Matahari openly flaunted her body and captivated her audience, and she was an overnight success right from the debut of her act at Musée Guimet on March 13th, 1905. She also subsequently became the longtime mistress of the millionaire Lyon industrialist, Emile Etienne Guimet, who had founded the museum. Matahari pretended to be an Indonesian princess of priestly descent and claimed to have been immersed in the art of sacred Indian dance since childhood. Small note here. This was, as we now know, all a lie. Nowadays, this would be classed as cultural appropriation, but at the time, it was seen as perfectly normal for performers to lie about their backgrounds and their families to make themselves seem more interesting and mysterious. The most notable for this was P.T. Barnum, who not only lied about the origins of his performers, but was also known to exaggerate their unique features. This is not ex to excuse what Matahari did, just to explain that though it was a very different time, we can't allow rose-tinted views of the past to affect our judgement. During this time, she had her photograph taken a lot. She was either naked, or very nearly so, and some of these pictures were obtained by her ex-husband, who used them to strengthen his case in keeping their daughter. Her career went into decline after 1912. She performed what would be her last show of her career on March 13th, 1915 a scant 10 years from her debut, 10 years to the day, to be exact. She had begun her career relatively late for a dancer, and there were many younger, more modern, more popular performers around. However, by this time, she was a successful courtesan. She was always known more for her sensuality and eroticism than her beauty. Her main customers were high-ranking military officials, politicians, and other influential gentlemen in many countries. Her liaisons with these men frequently took her across international borders. Before the outbreak of World War I, people generally viewed her as an artist, a free-spirited bohemian. But as tensions rose and the war began, some began to see her more as a potential danger. During the war, the Netherlands was neutral. Now, as a Dutch subject, Zeller was able to cross the national borders freely which she did quite often, avoiding the battlefields by travelling between France and the Netherlands via Spain and Britain. And, inevitably, she attracted attention. During this time, her main relationship was with Captain Vladimir de Mazelov, 
a 23-year-old Russian pilot who was serving with the French army. She would later refer to him as the love of her life. He was part of the Russian Expeditionary Force sent to the Western Front in early spring of 1916. That summer, his plane was shot down and he was badly wounded, losing the sight in his left eye. This led Matahari to seek permission to visit her wounded lover at the hospital where he was recovering. Now, as a citizen of a neutral country, normally she wouldn't be allowed near the front line. However, she was given permission now, and this is apparently where her career as a spy began. Some say she was given permission to visit her lover in return for agreeing to spy for the French. The connections she had from her days of dancing and being a courtesan meant she had access to many imported people. This would make her an ideal choice for a spy. But was she? Many have questioned whether she was in fact a spy or just a scapegoat. Her liking for military men on both sides of the conflict and her history as an exotic dancer, a courtesan and a divorced woman made her an easy target for people to demonise. Some believe it was her former lover who grew bored of her and sent a false message in a code they knew the French had already broken, naming her as a spy. Others say she accepted the role of a spy as she was eager to earn money to support Maslov following his injury. Either way, she was arrested in her hotel room on February 13th, 1917. Her trial took place behind closed doors, and she was kept in a rat-infested cell until her execution in October. She never confessed. Not once during the hours of interrogation, she never claimed to be a spy. Her years of fabricating her background meant she got details confused, and this made her look even more guilty to the prosecution. They eventually declared her guilty of espionage and causing the deaths of 50,000 French soldiers. Despite there never being any specific evidence or explanation on how she did this. You see, by 1917, France was war-weary. Morale was low and victories were few. As it often goes, the government were looking for a scapegoat. Someone they could blame for things going wrong. When the things that were happening weren't anyone's fault in particular. Matahari, with her Scandalous past and lovers on both sides of the conflict was perfect. She was executed on October the 15th, 1917, after months of incarceration in her rat-infested cell suffering from malnutrition. As soon as her date with the firing squad was kept, the rumours started. The firing squad fired blanks and allowed her to escape. She was not bound, refused to blindfold and blew a kiss to her executioners. She was dressed in a tailored suit made especially for the occasion. She wore a blue suit, low-cut blouse and tricorn hat ensemble which was chosen by her accusers for her to wear at her trial and was the only clean outfit she had left. Neither of these descriptions of her appearance matched the photographic evidence. In fact, the first description, the one about the tailored suit being specially made for the occasion, is from 1934, 17 years after her death. The truth is, after she fell to the ground, an officer walked up to her body and shot her in the head with a revolver, ensuring she was definitely dead. No family or friends ever claimed her body. Her remains were sent for medical study, as was the usual practice. Her head was embalmed, and kept by the Museum of Anatomy in Paris. However, it went missing. Possibly in 1954, but no one's really sure. 
Museum records also show they received the rest of her remains in 1918. These are also unaccounted for. A sad ending for someone who was wanted by so many in her life. To be abandoned and lost after her death. Her files have since been declassified by the French government and the German government cleared her of guilt in 1930. Despite this, her legacy as an international spy using seduction and her feminine wiles to gather intel has lived on and remains the most popular version of her to this day. Personally, I prefer to think of her as a self-made woman. She had her flaws. I won't say she didn't, but she took a bad situation and found a way to thrive and prosper. And from what I've read while researching for this, had it not cost her her life, I think she might have enjoyed the idea of being remembered as an international spy. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you again next week. As always, the sources are all down below in the description, as are links to my other social medias. Please check them out. I promote the episode, these episodes on there weekly, as well as all of the projects I may be working on. Thanks, guys. See you next week.